Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello, everyone. As always, I can never thank you enough for tuning in to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. So how are you and your loved ones doing as you wait out the storm of COVID-19? I realize that in most parts of the U.S., you are in early stages of reopening the economy, but millions of us are still staying at home and finding ourselves without a clearly a clear daily routine or a place to go. I'm assuming you don't have little children, pets, or demanding work-from-home responsibilities. You pretty much can get up out of bed whenever you please and do pretty much anything you want to. The question you need to ask yourself, are you positive about what you're getting done and are you making a good use of the time? And in times like these, lots of us don't have adequate income coming in, and it's so very easy to feel lethargic, but you may face an even bigger challenge for the first time in many years, perhaps in your entire adult life, you may lack structure and you have no one else but just yourself to set an agenda for you, not the boss, not uh, the shop or uh, office hours, a formal prearranged work schedule, or firm assignment due dates. So where do you turn to set a daily agenda for yourself and establish a firm but positive structure for your life and goals for the future? And to find this structure, my guest, Dr. Barry, Barry Fleet, a retired Christian minister and a psychologist tells you to look inside to your very own inner magnificence. He promises that every time every one of us is born with this magnificence that we can never lose it. The problem is so many of us bury this magnificence under layer upon layer of personal doubt and lowered expectations so deep that we no longer recognize that it is there. And today we're going to talk about this inner magnificence, where it came from, and how we can access it to create structure on the way to a joyful, fulfilling, and higher, highly productive future. And here are a few of Dr. Barry Fleet's qualifications. A former Protestant minister, Dr. Fleet has subsequently spent more than 30 years teaching leadership and psychology at three universities. He's also uh, has been a program director of a nonprofit counseling center, as well as having his own private practice. And he's author of an inspiring new book, "Move Into Your Magnificence: 101 Invitations to a Life of Passion and Joy." Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And by the way, never before an athlete. Dr. Flate ran his first triathlon at age 68 and celebrated his 70th birthday competing in a Spartan trifecta in Fenway Park, Boston, where he ran over the green monster and up and down the stands. Sounds pretty uh, difficult. Uh, hello, Dr. Barry Fleet. 
Your background qualifications are impressive indeed, and we're so proud to have you with us today on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Roy, it's a delight to be here. I, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much. Well, you can, can you please begin by defining what you mean by the term inner magnificence? To me, the concept sounds quite similar to the Christian concepts of Holy Spirit, Christ-centered living, or God within. Does inner magnificence uh, refer to this same type of an inner connection to the ultimate power of the universe? Um, yes, Roy, it does. Um, the reason I use the language inner magnificence is because I've got so many friends who have been turned off by the church and by religion. And so when I start talking and use God language, they just turn right off. Yeah, I um, so I, I use the term inner magnificence, and, um, and those of us from a Christian background can understand that as the Holy Spirit um, or the God within, um, the God spark, um, the inner Buddha, um, yeah. There are lots of different terms for the concept, uh, but I believe that every one of us has this um, amazing center, um, and, and we've only begun to scratch the surface of our potential. But one of the things I've, I've realized is that, you know, when we're, when we're two years old, we know we're magnificent. <laughs> we, we open our arms to the world and say, look at me, watch what I'm doing next. Uh, but as we go through life, um, we get um, we get criticized, we get scolded, we get put down, we get judged, and after a while, we start to think there's something wrong with us. Yeah. And so and so instead of being ourselves, we cover up that and we try to be whoever we think the world wants us to be, so we can fit in. <laughs> That's our first Not, mistake. Yeah. In yeah. your book, you have an amazing uh, story of. Uh, a conversation you had with one of your students as a professor, and you described uh, this student and uh, obviously intelligent, failed one of your exams, and you observed that he had written down many of the correct answers only to cross them out and then write in a wrong answer. On speaking with that, that student, well, what did he reveal? I thought that was fascinating. Well, what happened with him, um, I was surprised um, that he failed the test because yeah. he was in class all the time. He asked really good questions. And um, when, uh, to his credit, he made an appointment to come see me. Yeah. And I, I said, well, bring your test with you and let's go over it. And he came into my office and he sat down and he said, you have to understand, I'm just not a good student. Huh. And I looked at him and I said, who told you that? Yeah. And, and he said, my second grade teacher. <laughs> He said, I can remember the day I was sitting in class, I was doing my best, and she got really frustrated with me, and she told me that I was not a good student, I never would be, and she wasn't going to waste any more time with me. Isn't it amazing how careful we have to be talking to young children like something like that sticks in their Absolutely, for 20 years or more, and, or maybe throughout their adult life, and holds them back from their potential? I think we have to be really conscious of the things that we say to people. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if I'm seven or eight years old and somebody in their 30s or 40s or 50s tells me something about myself, I'm much more inclined to believe them because they're the expert in life and I, I'm just learning about all yeah. this. Well, you compare so those of us unaware of our inner magnificent 
to a geode, and that's a small uh, hollow rock. Uh, sounds fascinating. Can you uh, please explain this analogy? Sure. It, it, the, um, the history of that goes back to when I, um, I got accepted to do a TED Talk on inner magnificence. Oh. And I, I was going to use an acorn. And often when I teach classes, I, I hold up the acorn in front of my class and I say, inside this acorn is all the information to become the most magnificent oak tree that you can imagine. Yeah. And, um, and one of the pieces of advice I got when I was preparing for my TED Talk was to watch as many TED Talks as I could. And so probably 2 o'clock in the morning one night, I'm going through TED Talks, and I come across this guy in Florida who starts his TED Talk by holding up an acorn. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was just crushed. Um, and I was, I was so upset. I went upstairs. I talked to my wife and told her that I, my whole idea was just gone. And he didn't use. He wasn't he didn't a use squirrel, it. was he? <laughs> no, he wasn't. But he stole my nuts. <laughs> um, and my wife said, "Barry, you've got a geode right beside the bed. Think about that." Yeah. And all my life, since I was a little boy, I've been fascinated by geodes and the beauty of the crystals inside. Yeah. Um, and I realized that's a perfect analogy because what happens to us is we do have this inner magnificence, this inner yeah. beauty, and it. But it gets covered up by life, yeah. and and what we sh what we show to the world is all of our layers of protection, and 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 the world doesn't see, and a lot of us don't even realize that inside of us, our true nature, really is beautiful and magnificent. Um, and and so I've become very passionate about helping people one remember the magnificence that they once had. And claim that and, and live from their own beautiful uniqueness. That they once had and still do have buried way under that uh, rock it, surface. That's right. <laughs> it, it, is, it is still there, but it, it's buried so deeply that a lot of us um, don't remember. Yeah. We've lost touch with it. Well, let's turn briefly to the present trying times with the coronavirus pandemic. What are some of the best things we can do uh, to combat the uh, depression, to create a structure, and to continually move forward and ultimately rediscover that inner magnificence? Do you have any suggestions on how to spend our time now? I do. And, you know, Roy, it's really interesting because as, as um, I was thinking about our conversation today, I realized there's a lot of parallels between the situation that a lot of us find ourselves in and retirement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that on a program a couple of weeks ago, that it's kind of a uh, dress rehearsal for, for retirement. <laughs> Absolutely. So so there, there are a couple of things. Actually, there's several things that I, I know will make a difference. And whether, whether it's because we're in the quarantine with the COVID-19 or whether we're in retirement or wherever we are. Yeah. Uh, but um, because of my sort of Judeo-Christian background, I've been fascinated by the concept that our day starts at sundown. Oh. Uh, a lot of us think about in the morning, but you go back to the, to the Old Testament, um, in the creation story, there was evening and there was morning the first day, and that's, yeah, that's yeah. the theme of each day. And so we kind of set ourselves up by the way we spend our evenings, the way we, the way we go to bed at night. So one, one uh, 
spiritual habit that I have is before uh, before my wife and I go to sleep, we turn to each other and say, what are you grateful for about today? Oh, that's great. And and we we name two or three things that that we're grateful for. That's and so great. We, we Both go, from thinking of what you're grateful for and also holding yourself accountable so that you, when you have a partner like that, you have to do it and she has to do it back. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's a wonderful point because it, um, accountability makes so much difference. Yeah. And, it, and it is easier to do some of these things when we have somebody that will hold us accountable. Yeah, um, that's for sure. And, and so we, we go to bed in an attitude of gratitude. Um, and then when we wake up in the morning, before we ever get out of bed, think about things that we're grateful for. It, it's yeah. so easy to get lost in all of the things that we feel like have been taken away from us, all of the things that we're deprived of. And those those are real, and, and there's, a, there's a real grief process that's connected to that. But in the midst of all of that, there is always something to be grateful for. Um, you know, the fact that I woke up and that, that I could see or that I could hear, or that I could smell, that I could taste, just the physical senses that we have. Um, the fact that, that most of us um, spent the night in a warm, dry place, um, that we had a comfortable bed. Um, there, there's lots, lots of, there's, there's no end to the list of things that we can be grateful for if we look for them, if we think about them. I love uh, when we return back to work someday, hopefully, uh, the possibility to have a good time while earning a living and appreciate it. In your book, you tell a story of a limo driver and why she loves her job, and most people would consider that kind of a, a difficult and not a stressful, not very inspiring job. But can you tell us a bit of why she thinks it's so great? Because I thought that was really outstanding. Yeah, so... so. Um... I was talking to this woman, and we were waiting for another passenger, and I asked her what she liked about her job, and she said, she said every day is different. I never, know what my, I never know what my schedule is going to be, and I never know where I'm going to have to travel. Um, she was uh, located in Santa Barbara, but she drove to Los Angeles. She drove to San Francisco. She drove all over the, the California coast, and just all depending on where, where the, the client needed to go that day yeah. and um, she said every day is an adventure because I get up in the morning and I don't know where I'm going to go or what I'm going to see and I thought what a what a wonderful way to see the day and and we may not uh, be free to, to travel the way she does but um, if we looked every day when we got up in the morning if we thought of life as an adventure and thought about where is the adventure going to take me today, and kind of be surprised and intrigued with what we encounter. Yeah, and keep your mind of, open to a little disruption so that even if you have everything planned out, uh, you know, don't treat it as necessarily bad if something comes up to distract you. Because you then have an opportunity to learn something else. Yes, if you know, if we could see it instead of an, an intrusion and an interruption and a distraction, to see it as an interesting turn in the road and uh, and wonder where it's going to take us and what, what new experiences we'll have because of it. Yeah, speaking so, of uh, jobs, I, I love somewhere else in your book you talk about uh, 
how if you look behind what you're doing immediately to the benefits you're having uh, maybe to the world or to some individual or somebody that buys a product, it, it's so much more fulfilling than just I have to fill out this spreadsheet or I have to screw in this bolt. <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, When I was in college, I had a summer job working at uh, Westinghouse Electric, and um, they built uh, distribution transformers, those cans that you see hanging on the poles, the electric yeah. poles. And it's a pretty boring job putting together the insides of those transformers. Yeah, imagine so. And um, and there were four guys that I I supplied the parts to as they needed them, and then they they did the, they they did the building. Yeah. And one one guy every day he was just absolutely miserable. Hmm. And another guy who was um, probably in his early sixties and had been doing the job for years and years always had the biggest smile on his face and, and just a happy, happy guy. And, and so one day I, I, I asked him, how is it you enjoy what you're doing so much? Because on, on the outside, it looks pretty boring and kind of hard. And he said, he said, it's all about how I think about it. He said, what I know is when I'm putting these transformers together, I know that I'm helping supply electricity to the homes. And I'm thinking about what's going on in those houses. And I'm thinking about people cooking supper for the family. I'm thinking about um, kids sitting down around the table and doing their homework and watching television. He said, I think about the people that are benefiting from what I'm doing today. Um, yeah. And I thought, what a, what a wonderful way of looking at the big picture. Like you said, instead of, instead of just screwing in the bolt every day. <laughs> What's the benefit that somebody's going to get because of, of this, in some ways, menial task that I'm performing? Yeah, I love that. Well, let's talk briefly about your outstanding new book, Move Into Your Magnificence, 101 Invitations to a Life of Passion and Joy. Your book is written to inspire us through 101 invitations. Uh, tell us how the book is organized into a series of real-life experiences of yourself and of others, and then you follow by an invitation. Would you give us an example maybe of uh, what an invitation might look like in one of your chapters? Sure. So um, so one example, we just we just talked about the woman that was the, the limo driver yeah. and, and who um, who saw every day as an adventure. So so what happened? So the backstory, Roy, is that uh, when I was a pastor, I would write, uh, the cover for the newsletter every week, yeah, and that I would tell a story that would be a tease for the Sunday lesson. And when I retired, I realized I missed writing. Yeah. And when I was when I was writing, uh, when I was serving as a parish minister, I I always had a, an end tagline, which was, "I'll be looking for you Sunday." <laughs> Um, and I realized after I retired and I missed writing, I started writing again just for myself, but I also missed having a tagline. And and then it occurred to me uh, that I, I'm not inviting people to come to church anymore, but I mean I can invite people to come into a, a, a richer experience of their own lives. So um, each one of these 101 invitations, I tell a story of some sort. And then I end with an invitation to action, and then I have a guarantee. And the extent <laughs> what is which that you guarantee? <laughs> so the, the guarantee is the extent to which you accept my invitation 
is the extent to which you'll be able to say, I feel good about being me. Yeah, you don't so, have to necessarily accept all 101 invitations, I guess. But you take it one day at a time, and uh, you might want to read the book, clear through, but then go back and do it one day at a time and uh, try that one invitation that day and see how it works. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I've had a lot of people, Roy, who, who tell me that they keep that either by their bedside or by their chair in the morning. And when they're, I'm thinking about two or three people right now, when they're drinking their morning coffee, part of their morning ritual, um, they read from the scripture or they read whatever, and they read one story yeah. out of my book. And, and it gives them an intention for how they might live the day. Yeah. Um, and, and my guarantee is that if you do this, I can guarantee you that when you go to bed tonight, you're going to be able to say, I feel good about being me. Oh, that's great. Well, where should our listeners go to preview and purchase your book, Move Into Your Magnificence? So it's it's available at Amazon. Um, just just go to Amazon and type in Barry Fleet, and it's Barry with one R. It looks wrong, but it's Barry, Barry with <laughs> how, one R. How does it feel to go through life with a name that looks wrong? <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. I've been teaching at Bryant University, yeah. and um, I've been there for, for 30 years, and they still have me as B-A-R-R-Y. <laughs> and every, every time I go to HR and, and ask them to correct it, somebody in the chain of command looks <laughs> at it and they're sure that it's wrong, and they fix it for me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I've just, I've just kind of given up. And I figured there are much, much bigger issues in life to be concerned about than whether or not somebody puts an extra R in my name. <laughs> yeah, it's still pronounced the same whether it has one or two R's, so I guess it doesn't really matter. It is. It uh, is. You offer, a, I know, coaching services as a coach and also a public speaker in the New England area. Where can people go to find out more and uh, get in touch with you if uh, they want to uh, retain you as a coach? So the the best place to go is my website, which is www.drbaryfleet.com, drbaryfleet.com. Or you can email me at barry at drbaryfleet.com. Okay, yeah, it was easy to find. Well, in conclusion, being a Christian myself, I've always had a problem of believing in an all-loving God who condemns billions of non-Christians to eternal damnation. And I'm greatly inspired by Dr. Barry Fleet's book. And no, we are not condemned by an old man in the sky. We create our own unfortunate circumstances. Some may even call it hell by isolating ourselves and not seeking to live in harmony with the power of the universe. Call it God, Allah, Yahweh, universal intelligence, whatever. And so as not to offend, Dr. Fleet calls it our inner magnificence, but if you prefer, you can call it God within. And in his book, Dr. Fleet offers 101 realistic invitations, steps you and I can take to help us rediscover that magnificent within and a connection to God and the universal power far beyond our self-imposed limitations. And it's your choice. You may accept some invitations and decline others, and your promised reward a life in harmony with a loving and creative universal power and a life stripped of self-imposed limitations full of light and love, joy and peace, beauty and goodness. 
it's a very easy choice, isn't it? <laughs> you don't have to absorb Dr. Barry Fleet's book all at once. One lesson a day will help you speed the way and like the person that you are. And thank you so much, Dr. Fleet, for a most inspiring conversation. And keep up the good work. Roy, thank you so much. It's been delightful talking to you. Wow. Finding your inner magnificence. In other words, God within, a spiritual connection to creation, the universal intelligence. You know, when you think about it, that's not at all unlike the Christian belief in the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Barry Fleet is one tough act to fire, or to follow, I should say, but I'm foolish enough to try. So let's talk for a moment about a gift that every one of us receives. And the funny thing about this gift, the gift has its maximum value at the moment of our birth. (laughs) And uh, some of us receive a lot more of this gift than others do, but none of us knows just how much uh, of it we have left. And some of us make marvelous use of this gift, while others spend a major portion of it on God knows what and don't accomplish very much. And uh, once spent, unfortunately, it can never be replaced. And, of course, I'm talking about the gift of time. But here's a strange phenomenon in the last couple of months throughout the U.S. and the world. The pandemic virus or the uh, coronavirus pandemic has uh, created uh, by canceling work schedules, uh, eliminating socializing and canceling events, the corona pandemic has created a significant extra time to reflect on who we are, on our purpose and our goals uh, moving forward. And here's a question for you. How well are you using this gift of time? You know, lots of us plan to dedicate at least some of the time we have on hold on getting back in shape on health and wellness issues, maybe losing some weight and maintaining it, or perhaps uh, uh, starting a whole new exercise routine. And uh, as all of us know, here is the hard part. Setting goals is easy. The challenge is sticking to them. Uh, Also, of course, staying at home creates some new challenges. A lot of gyms have been closed, and uh, many of us are disrupted are unable to uh, play team sports, and you all know golf courses have all kinds of restrictions. Uh, So I'll close today's program with some quick tips for setting and sticking to your own health and exercise goals. And by the way, I got these tips from a USA Today Network May 10, 2020 article by Angie Ferguson, an exercise psychologist and strategic intervention coach in Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, first and foremost, according to Angie, create SMART goals. Now, that's an analogy for a specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. And let's talk a bit about each of these SMART goals. One, specific. Your goal needs to be specific to you. It doesn't need to be anyone else's. It needs to be clear and identify what you want to achieve, not what someone else says you should achieve, and just why you want to achieve it. Uh, The second is measurable. 
Your goal should be measurable in terms of what you're trying to achieve. It needs to encompass a measurement that you can work toward or engage, engage progress, whether that be committing to exercise three times a week, losing a certain amount of weight, or achieving a specific time in a future race event. Whatever it is, it has to be measurable. Third, achievable. Your goal needs to be achievable. You need to want to achieve your goal and believe in yourself to succeed. So don't suddenly set a five-minute mile as your goal if you haven't run in a number of years. And make it realistic. Your goal must be realistic. If you've never run before, then setting a goal to run a marathon in four weeks is not all that realistic. Maybe this time next year. Review the time frame in which you wish to achieve your goal and use this as a base. For instance, if you run a marathon next year, you might set three months from now to be able to run five miles, then 10, 15, 20, etc., and work your way up. And setting short-term benchmarks along the way will help you keep on track with your long-term goal. And uh, finally, uh, the T in the SMART formula is time-based. You need a deadline time in which you will accomplish each goal. Having set a time frame will facilitate adherence, consistency, and support your success. And may I also recommend visualize what life will be like how pleasant it will be once you have achieved that goal. Living and enjoying that goal even before it's achieved is a great way to encourage you to keep on track. And here's so key. Uh, Next, you need to create accountability. Having someone you trust and rely on to hold you accountable is extremely important. This can be a personal trainer if you can afford one a life coach, maybe even a family member or friend. Your spouse would be great, and uh, she she or he could set some goals for you and uh, share with them your goal, how you're going to achieve it, and why this is important to you so uh, they can properly support you. How about setting goals together? That's another great idea. If each of you keeps track of the other one, it's uh, much more likely You'll stick to that goal. And here's the final suggestion. Write the goal down. Once you have a clarity, write your goals down and paste them somewhere where you'll see them often. There is a saying in neuropsychology, write it and you invite it, don't and you won't. The simple act of writing down your goals helps rewire your thought process. Also, you'll see your goals in print regularly and you're much more likely to hit your target if you see it. And with clarity and goals in place, now is a great time to talk to a fitness professional, but it isn't absolutely necessary. They can, however, help you devise an action plan for short- and long-term success. Also, review and revise your goals and uh, progress every six weeks. It's so important that you keep uh, doing that on a timely basis so they don't just fade into oblivion. And that's our program for today. Uh, Please don't forget to preview and perhaps purchase my two books on midlife renewal, a midlife challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and the Crew, Restart Your Engines. Both are by me, Roy C. Richards, and these books are guidelines for 
individual and collective renewal at middle age, and you'll find most books on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And now, uh, socially distance and stay healthy, not because the government tells you to, but because you want to for yourself and for those you love. Bye for now. Have a great week. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 